I love to worship the Lord in song here. It's just so refreshing. Uh, it's refreshing, it's simple, it's Christ-exalting, and I was so blessed this morning by the songs that we sang. And it's also a blessing to hear so many of you applause after a good song, just expressing your thanks to the Lord, and it's good to be here. Um, if you've got your Bibles, let's open them to 1 John, the little letter of 1 John. And as you turn there, if you have a hard copy of the Bible or if you have an electronic copy, you scroll over there, I'll go ahead and get started. Uh, what I want to do this morning is return to our study of this little New Testament book called 1 John after taking a break from it for the holidays. So to help us re-engage with John's focus after being away from it for actually five weeks, that's a long time. Um, I want to do a short review of where we've been, and then we're going to continue our journey deeper into 1 John. And so as far as review is concerned, when we began our study of this book, we saw that John wrote this letter for a purpose. And his purpose was to present several marks of the true Christian. And so as you read through 1 John you come across these marks that would serve as evidences to those who read his original letter and to us, marking us out as true Christians or revealing to us that we're not. And he had that purpose so that we might know that we have eternal life. That's what it says in chapter 5, verse 13. Um, John writes in that verse that, he wrote these things to his recipients that they might know that they have eternal life and that they might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so the letter is designed to help Christians have assurance that they are Christians indeed. And that makes it super practical because life is hard, life's a challenge, uh, very few of us live as well as Christians as we would hope to live we make mistakes, we trip, we fail, we sin, we get in arguments with our spouse. Sometimes we can go through times when we wonder, man, am I, am I even a believer? Do I even belong to Christ? And so the book is very, very practical in that sense, and it gives us assurance. Now, thus far, we've considered John chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to chapter 2, verse 2. So we've made some progress. We've made some progress. And in those verses, we've learned two of the marks of a Christian. So the first mark of a Christian is that a Christian is a person that has faith in Jesus Christ, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what John's talking about in the first four verses of his letter. And so the first mark of a Christian is that he or she knows Christ by faith. And that's actually what the label Christian means. Um, the followers of Jesus weren't always called Christians, in fact. They were called the followers of the way, but they weren't called Christians. And then those that were not followers of the way coined the term Christian in a place that we know as Syrian Antioch to designate people who followed Jesus. And so the word Christian can be interpreted Christ one, somebody that is trying to live like Christ, somebody that follows Christ. 
And so it stands to reason that the first mark of a true Christian is that he or she would be someone who knows Christ by faith and <clears throat> belongs to Jesus Christ. Now, we talked for several weeks about a second mark of a Christian, and that is that a Christian has an honest view of their personal sin. They have an honest view of their personal sin. When we're outside Jesus Christ, we don't have faith in him, we don't know him, we tend not to have an honest view of our personal sin. We may have what we think is an honest view of other people's sins, but we don't get too up close and personal with our own. And when we become Christians, that gets reversed. That gets reversed. And so the second mark of a Christian is that a Christian has an honest view of their personal sin. Now that's in chapter 1, verse 5 to chapter 2, verse 2. Uh, before a person becomes a Christian, sin, which is defined as disobedience or the breaking of God's laws, the breaking of God's standards, is tolerated and it might even be loved and it's definitely practiced. That's the mode that non-Christians live in. That's the mode I lived in before I became a Christian. After a person becomes a Christian, however, a person begins to view sin like we might view melanoma. You know what melanoma is? All right, there are several kinds of skin cancer. The worst type of skin cancer is melanoma. It's the worst type because it's fast spreading and very deadly. And so what would you do if you find out tomorrow that you have a spot on your arm or your leg or your back or your chest and the dermatologist says, oh, you have melanoma? What would you do? I know what I would do. I would say, can we have surgery now? Because you want to get that out, and you want to make sure that it is removed and the margins are clear so that it doesn't come back because you know that melanoma is very, very deadly. It's the deadliest form of skin cancer. And so it is with the believer in sin. Before we become Christians, we're friendly to sin. After we become Christians, we're unfriendly to sin. And sin is unfriendly to us. And when we work through those verses, we learn that a true Christian is a person who takes a threefold stance against sin because God is light and we walk in the light. And that's in verses 5 and 7 of chapter 1. And then when we got down into verse 2, I gave you three words in one message. I talked about how we confess and how we resist and how we rest. Now, you may or may not remember that message, but that's what's behind chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. We confess our sins, the end of chapter 1. We resist sin as Christians. That's the opening of chapter 2, and we rest. What do we rest in? Well, the second verse of chapter 2 talks about how Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. What that means is he bore the wrath so that we could enjoy the mercy from God. And so we confess our sins, we resist sin, and we rest in the finished work of Christ. Now that's where we've been. So today then we want to consider the third mark of a Christian. And the third mark of a Christian is found in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. And so what I want to do is read that with you, and then I'm going to pray again, and then we'll get into the detail of the passage. But I'm going to start reading in chapter 2, verse 1, so that you get the flow. 
So follow along with me. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 1. John wrote, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. And now verse 3 through 5. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected And then John goes on to write these words, by this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. We'll talk more about that last statement next week, but we want to focus on verses three through five this week. And so join with me. Let's pray one more time. Ask the Lord to open our hearts, help us grasp what he teaches, and then we'll move on. Heavenly Father, thank you that we were able to come together this morning and worship you in song and worship you in prayer as our brother Goliath lifted his heart to you. And now we've been reading your word and we just ask that as we get into this third mark of the Christian, that you would open this truth up to all of us. I pray for those that are Christians that you would use what's taught here to give us even more assurance that we belong to you. I pray that if there is anyone in our midst who is doubting whether they're believers or not, that you would use this mark to assure them. And I also pray that if there is anyone in our midst who does not belong to you, that you very mercifully, like the great physician that you are, would diagnose their heart and draw them to you so that they might believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so open up this text to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, from the verses that we just read, we actually learn that the third mark of a Christian is that a Christian is someone who loves God's word with an intent to obey it. That's what John is laying out in these verses. A Christian is someone who loves God's word with an intent to obey it. And John actually presents this in both a positive way and a negative way. And so let's look at the positive. The positive is in verse 3 and verse 5. John says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And then verse 5 Whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. And then he goes on to say, by this we know that we are in him. If the one who says he abides in him ought to walk just like Jesus walked. And so the flow is really interesting here. He talks about how he was writing so that believers wouldn't sin, but if anyone does, We have an advocate with the Father, righteous Jesus Christ. He's the wrath bearer, the propitiation for our sins. And then he goes right into verse 3. How do you know that you know this propitiation? 
How do you know that you know this advocate? By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. That's a positive instruction. And verse 5 is the other half of the positive instruction. Now, in between the two positive statements, John sandwiched a negative. And the negative is in verse 4. Notice what he says. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is what? A liar. That's kind of serious, isn't it? That's really serious. Is a liar and the truth is not in him. And so there's a positive statement and a negative statement about this third mark of a Christian. A Christian is someone who loves the word of God with an intent to obey it. And as I thought about this, uh, three questions popped into my mind that I want to pose to you and then answer with you and for you. Now, here's the first one. The first one might be said by some in our day and age uh, isn't talk about obedience, legalism. You know what legalism is? Legalism is a, a putting of a believer who is saved by grace through faith back under the law. And so we might ask, aren't we saved by grace through faith apart from works of the law? The answer to that question is absolutely we are. The reason we're right with God is not because of our works, because of Christ's work on our behalf, his life for us, his death and resurrection on our behalf. And we're saved based on his merit, right? And so if that is true, uh, what's all this talk about? Uh, by this we know him if we keep his commandments. Isn't that legalism? Some would ask. Often in some churches today, whenever the topic of obedience to God's word comes up, someone immediately will see this as legalism. And I had this pressed home to me uh, a couple of years ago because we were talking through a similar passage up at the church that um, I've served for so many years. And one of the elder candidates actually came up to me and said, I have a question. What's your question? He said, well, you're talking about obeying the Lord Jesus Christ. You're talking about keeping God's commandments. I always thought that was legalism. He said that to me for real. And I took the time to explain it to him as I'm going to do to you or with you. But it's natural that sometimes people in our day and age uh, might see instruction to keep God's commandments as legalism. So let me put it in perspective uh, for you. Um, obedience to God's word is not legalism, not for the Christian. So if it's not legalism, what is it? Rather, it is an outflow of love for God and for Christ. And that's actually in this text. Let me show you where. If you look at verse 5, John says, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. What he's saying is that one way our love for God flows out and is revealed before the Lord and to other people is that we keep his word. We keep his word, that's an evidence of our love for God. Now, a lot of you are parents, some of you have little children. Uh, when a child obeys, the child's obedience isn't legalism, is it? It isn't because the child has to keep some law. It's not legalism at all. It's at all. It's actually obedience out of honor and respect for the parent when 
there's good parent-child relationships. In a family where there's good parent-child relationships, children obey their mom and their dad, generally speaking, not perfectly, because they love their mom. They honor their dad. They respect their mom and dad. And that obedience is somewhat natural. And so it is with this. So it is with God's commands. God the Father, my friends, is the ultimate loving father of all his children. If you happen to be raised in a home where you had an excellent, loving, connected father, God the Father is so much more than the good earthly father you have or had. He's the most loving father in the universe. And so obedience to his commands is the result of love for him, for what he has done for us, for what he continues to do for us, every day, all the time, moment by moment. He blesses us when we aren't even aware that he's blessing us. And sometimes then we can look back and see, oh yes, in the midst of that trial and tribulation, here is God the Father blessing me, blessing me, blessing my son, daughter, wife, etc., and so forth, right? And that's what verse 5 references. Now, this is why Jesus used obedience to his word as proof of those who love him. Let me point something out to you. Um, Golub, in your community group, you're going through John, right? John's gospel. It's awesome. I love it. Uh, we just finished preaching through John up at uh, the church in Morgan Hill. And you'll come to this passage, but take a look at John chapter 14. If you've got your Bibles, look over to John 14 with me. I want you to see it. And as you're turning there, scrolling there, let me just tell you, I am a big, big fan of Christians having Scripture with them. Now, my preference is a hard copy, but I have got five or six versions on my phone, too. And so I'm not against phone copies of the Scripture, right? I just happen to like carrying a Bible with me. One of these days, we'll probably get into a deeper discussion about that. But if you've got the Bible electronically, scroll to John 14, hard copy, open to John 14. Let me show you a couple of verses. Notice verse 21. Jesus, speaking to his disciples during his upper room discourse, actually said this. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. That's the positive statement that John is making in 1 John chapter 2. Now, Jesus makes a negative statement as well. Look at verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. It's pretty clear, right? So Jesus used obedience to his word as a proof of those who love him. Now, put another way, we can talk about diet. We have a need to eat healthy food. But do you think that eating healthily is legalism? It might be, <laughs> if you're in a certain home. If you like to eat junk food, and your spouse is a health food person, but 
joking aside, eating well, eating healthily is not legalism. It is a pleasurable activity that gives health to our body. And so it is with loving and obeying God's word. His word gives health to our souls, and his word benefits us greatly if we're Christians. It's spiritual food. It builds us up in our faith. It sanctifies us, makes us more like Jesus, right? And so the first question is, when we talk about obeying God's commandments, is that legalism? And for a Christian, it's not legalism at all. We don't keep God's word. We don't obey his commandments in order to make ourselves right with him or maintain a right relationship with him. That's been done through Jesus Christ. And when we receive Christ by faith, his merit is awarded to our account. But rather as Christians, we obey Christ's commands because the love of God has been perfected in us or is being perfected in us. It's an outflow of love. So then a second question arose as I was studying this text. Here's the second question. The second question is, how does God's word benefit us in a really, really practical way? How does God's word benefit us in a really, really practical way? Well, keep your finger in 1 John and flip back to the Psalms. Flip back to the Psalms. The psalmists give us lots of insight into how God's word benefits us in a practical way. Now, if you read Psalm 19, you'll find that that psalm in its 14 verses divides into two parts. The first half of the psalm speaks about what we would call in theology God's general revelation of himself. That is It speaks of how God reveals himself through the creation that he created. And so the first verse says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expanses declaring the work of his hands. But then when you get to verse 7, the psalmist starts talking about the law of the Lord. And if you read from verse 7 all the way down to about verse 11, here's what you're going to learn. Uh, Psalm 19, 7 through 8 says that the law of the Lord actually restores the soul. That's a pretty interesting statement. Whatever is broken in the soul, the law of the Lord can restore, can heal, can make whole. The psalmist says that the law of the Lord makes us wise. That's in the second half of verse 7. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. If you read on, verse 8 says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Now, how does that work? Well, God has so wired us that when we do the right, it benefits us internally. And when we do the wrong, it doesn't benefit us internally. As non-Christians, that principle holds true. That's why someone that's not a Christian can still be bothered in conscience by wrong actions that they take, wrong thoughts that they have. But when we become Christians then, the Holy Spirit begins to retune our conscience. And so we can say from the psalm, the precepts of the Lord are right. And because they're right, when we're walking in them, they rejoice our hearts. 
They become a source of joy in our lives because we're doing what's right that pleases our Father. His pleasure's on us, and we can bask in it. Do you follow me? And so, the law of the Lord rejoices the heart. Also, it, it enlightens us. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. We have spiritual sight that is accurate and clean. If you jump down to verse 11, it says that uh, the word of God warns us of spiritual danger. Moreover, by them, the precepts and instructions of the Lord, your servant is warned. Warned about what? Warned about spiritual danger. Warned about getting off the path. Warned about what can do spiritual harm, emotional harm, even physical harm. Moreover, by them your servant is warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Where does the reward come from? It's the same as what I was saying about doing what's right and having the heart rejoice and knowing that we're pleasing God. And so those are some ways that the word of God benefits us. Uh, Let me show you some more. Look over at Psalm 119. Now, I don't want to see a, a, a show of hands, but when's the last time you read Psalm 119 from start to finish? It's 170 plus verses, okay? It's the longest chapter in the Bible. You know what? I'll tell you a story. Uh, I was at Shepherd's Conference one year. Uh, Shepherd's Conference is held by Grace Community Church once a year in March. And several thousand pastors and elders and other people come together just to worship the Lord together and sit under the Word. And this particular year, Pastor Mark Dever from Capitol Hill Baptist Church back in Washington, D.C., had been assigned a certain topic, and the text he was given was Psalm 119. And he was supposed to go in and find parts of the psalm that spoke to it. Well, he gets up, and he actually says, you know, in my church, what we always do is read the text of Scripture we've been assigned before we preach the message, and I was given Psalm 119, and so open your Bibles to Psalm 119, and I said to myself and a guy that was with me, is he going to read the whole thing? And he did. He read the whole thing. Now, that's a side note, not that you would care about that, but uh, I said that to say this. If you've never read Psalm 119 from start to finish, slowly and meditatively, I would encourage you to do so. If you're a Christian, it will build you up in your faith. It will encourage you so much. And one of the things that you see from Psalm 119 is that the author of the 119th Psalm was a person, a man, who was in love with the Word of God and wanted other people to love it too. Now, Psalm 119 gives us a lot of benefits that come to us from loving the Word of God, but I'll give you a few. Uh, Psalm 119, 1 and 2. How blessed are those whose way is blameless who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies who seek him with all their heart. We learn to walk in the law of the Lord by knowing the law of the Lord. And as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit who can help us and empower us to do so. Uh, It says keeping the word, um, observing and attending to it brings blessing. Now, look at verse 9 and verse 11. There's a question asked in verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure by keeping it according to your word? Verse 11 says, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. 
And right in between those verses is verse 10. With all my heart I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Now why doesn't he want to wander? Because he's treasuring God's word in his heart because he knows that God's word will protect him from sinning against God. And so the word guards us from sinning against our Lord. That's one of its purposes. It's kind of a check in our minds and our hearts. Opportunity arises through a temptation. And if we've been taking the word in, a scripture pops into our minds. Oh, yeah, I probably shouldn't walk that way. That's what he's talking about here. Uh, If you jump over and get deeper into the psalm, uh, the 105th verse in Psalm 119 is very instructive. Um, It says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shows God's word as a lamp and as a light. And this particular single verse can dovetail with something that Jesus said about himself. So again, when you work through the Gospel of John, you have these I am statements. And I want to say that in about chapter 8, one of the I am statements is Jesus speaking, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Listen to that on the backdrop of Psalm 119.105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When you put those two passages together, here's what you've got. The Lord's written word is the lamp to the feet and a light to the path, and Christ is enfleshed the light of the world. How do you walk in the light of the world? You walk after the light of the world, Christ, by knowing the word of Christ in your heart, and it empowers you to follow what the light of the world wants you to follow. If you want to walk straight in the world, we need a light because the world is dark. Christ is the light in person. His word is used as a lamp and a light. Take it in as you follow Jesus. Now, these are all benefits which come to those who love God's word. But there's an even greater benefit than these particular benefits. And this is the most important benefit of all. And that benefit is this. It is through God's written word that we learn more and more about the living word, about Christ, about he who it was said in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can't overcome it. That's John chapter 1, verses 1 through about 3. And the Gospels and other scriptures tell us about the incarnate word, the word of God, the living word of God. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four books especially. But Old Testament and New Testament passages enhance what we learn in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And that is the greatest benefit of all. You want to get close to Jesus and know more and more about Jesus and fall more and more in love with Jesus. You do it through meditating on his word and taking it in in faith. And as we take in God's word, our faith is built up more and more. Why? Because listen to this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Have you ever been in a situation where you're saying to yourself, I wish I had more faith? I wish my faith could be increased. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. A side effect of getting into the word more and more is that it builds and increases your faith in the living God through the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so these are some reasons why John wrote that keeping his commandments is a mark of a Christian. The Christian is a person who desires to walk in the light of Christ. In the light as Christ is in the light, and his word shows us the way, all right? So those were the first two questions. When we start thinking about commandments, are we talking about legalism? No, we're not. And then the second question is, what are the benefits Or how does God's word benefit us? And so now here's a third question. And this is very, very important in terms of practicality for us as Christians. How does a Christian who loves God's word get God's word into their lives? How does a Christian who loves God's word get God's word into their lives? Well, I'm going to give you three Ps. Write these down. Prioritize. Pray practice, prioritize, pray, practice. Let's talk about each of those. What what do I mean by prioritize? By prioritize, what I mean is making the taking in of God's word more important than the taking in of other books. Let me just say something about that. I love books. I love books. I learned early on that I can buy books faster than I can read them. And if you were to visit my house and you go into my study at home, you would find books everywhere. I mean, they're everywhere. They're in the shelves, and my shelves are full, and they're double stacked, and they're stacked on the floor, and they're like, I've got books galore. Man, if you're looking for a book on a certain topic, talk to me because I might have an extra copy and I'll give it to you. So I'm not down on reading other books. That's not what I'm trying to say. But what I am trying to say is that any book that we buy, whether it's a commentary or a study aid, is a book about the book. It's a book about the book. Theology books are books about the book. Thomas Watson's Body of Divinity is an exposition of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. If you don't know what that is, don't worry about it. It's not an issue of uh, having a stable faith, but um, it's a book about the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which means it's a book about the book. And so, if you've got hundreds of books that are about the book, why don't you just read the book? You follow me? Just read the book, the Bible. And so prioritize taking in God's word over other books Um, and get into a rhythm of taking in the scriptures regularly. Now, the second P is pray. What does that stand for? Well, pray for grace to do what the word instructs. Pray for grace to do what the word instructs. We would pray for understanding about the word. Pray that the Lord by the Spirit would give us insight into the word. But it's not enough to understand the word. We are called to do what it says. There's a verse in James, in fact, that says, Don't just be hearers of the word deceiving your own selves, but rather do what the word says. 
And so the goal is keeping his commandments, walking in his word. And so you have to pray for grace to do what the word instructs. Let me just give you some examples. Um, I don't know why this popped into mind when I was writing my message, but you know, if you read Ephesians 5, there's some instructions to husbands and some instructions to wives. Now, there's a long section to husbands. It's a much longer section than the one to wives. If you read the one to wives, it really gives one instruction. Uh, the instruction is, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. But there are multiple verses that are written to husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And on Paul goes. How in the world do you do that? You know, the thing that I've found is that husbands don't naturally love their wives in a selfless way. We tend to love ourselves a little bit more. Paul uses that as an analogy in Ephesians 5 to tell us how we should love our wives. No one hated his own flesh, but loves it and cherishes it. Well, seeing that you're so self-centered and you love your flesh and cherish it, turn it around and give that kind of love to your wife. That's Ephesians 5. You know, wives don't naturally make themselves subject to their own husbands. If you want to know the dynamic of that, read Genesis chapter 3. Many Christians live a Genesis 3 marriage, but Christ calls us to live an Ephesians 5 marriage. How in the world then do I love my wife? How in the world do I learn to love my wife? That's where prayer comes in. You have to pray for grace to do what the word instructs. Husbands, pray that the Lord equip you and teach you and empower you to love. Wives, pray that the Lord equip you and teach you to be subject to your husband. That applies to all sorts of instructions. Because there are so many things in the scripture where we're called to obedience, but we don't have the power in ourselves to do them. We need the grace of God applied by the Spirit of God, right? And so the first is prioritize taking in God's word over other books. Uh, the second is pray for grace to do what the word instructs. And then the third is practice. And what I wrote down is practice the five relations to the word. Uh, what are the five relations to the word? Well, if anybody was discipled, as I was, by someone that was with the Navigators organization, then you know the five relations to the word. All of us have five ways that we can be related to this book. Now, the first is what all of us are doing today. It's hearing. And so one way that we take in the word is to hear it. We can hear it read. We can hear it taught. We can hear it preached. That's the first relation. Now, the second is by reading. Our second relationship is by reading the word. And I praise the Lord that here at Grace Bible Church, there are Bible reading plans. And so Pastor Goloff talked about um, chronological reading through the Bible, right? And I was looking out here, out there in the foyer, and I found this other New Testament Bible reading plan. It's called 5 by 5 by 5. This is another Bible reading plan. And there's another Bible reading plan out there as well. And so Pastor Goloff and Pastor Darren and Pastor Michael are providing Bible reading plans. Why are they doing that? 
They're doing that in order to help all of you Christians here at Grace Bible Church to develop the second relationship with the Word, to read the Word. And so we hear the Word, and then we read the Word. Here's the third relationship to the Word, studying the Word, studying the Word. Reading the Word is like a 5,000-foot helicopter view. Studying the Word is like you land the helicopter over here on the main street that goes through, what is it called? San Benito Street, right? So if you're flying over Hollister, you can get a big view. That's what reading the Word does. But if you're in a helicopter and you land in the downtown area, you can get out and walk around and you can see all the detail of the downtown area. And you can see the various shops and the various restaurants and stuff like that, right? That's what studying the Word does. That's the third relationship to the Word. Now, number four and five both start with an M. Memorize the Word and meditate on the Word. Those are our five relationships to the Word. Hearing, we'll forget most of what we hear. Reading, we'll retain a little bit more. Studying, we'll retain more still. Memorizing, we'll retain whatever we memorize. And the thing that really sinks that home to our hearts is if we meditate on it. And so that's how Christians get the word into their lives. Now, let me uh, give a disclaimer. Um, It's important to realize that depending on your station in life depends on how intensely you can go after getting the word into your lives. Here's what I mean. When my wife and I were newlyweds and we had no kids, we had a lot of discretionary time when we were together in the morning and together in the evening. And we could read the Bible together if we wanted to. We could read the Bible on our own. We could pray together. We could pray individually. Then the first child came along. And then the second child came along. And that turned our schedule upside down. Now, we hope to have more children, but the Lord didn't bless us in that way, but we had two. But I've got friends that have three, four, five, six children. Young moms. So if you're a young mom this morning and you got a bunch of kids and you just hear me say, listen, you need to be hearing and reading and studying, memorizing and meditating, your eyeballs are spinning. It's like, what? How in the world can I do that? Well, you can't. You can't. And so that's why I said your relationship to the word depends on the station in life that you're in. So what should you do if you're a young mom and you've got one or two or three or four or five kids? Well, you hear the word every time you come to worship. Make coming to worship a regular habit, as many of you do, because I see you every week when I'm preaching. Um, Capitalize on one of these reading plans. And you might say, well, I've got so much going on with my kids, I don't have time to go through a reading plan. That's okay. Modify it for your life. Modify it for your life. If the reading plan calls for two chapters a day, but you have time for one paragraph a day, just read one paragraph. You're not under a law but you want to take the word in. Some of you may say, well, I just don't retain a lot. Um, How do I get the word in my life? Uh, You know what? It's not so much quantity as opposed to quality. Did you know that you can memorize one verse or one line from one verse? And then you can meditate on that, and that's going to act in your life 
like a throat lozenge, loz, lo, how do you say that? Lozenge, lozenge, you know what I mean. A mint. Okay. It's going to act as a mint in your mouth, right? It's small, but it's powerful. I've got some mints that'll just almost blow the top of my head off. They're so strong. But you can memorize one line of a, of a key scripture or one verse, and in the midst of your hustle-bustle day, take that verse with you as you go through. When I used to drive truck, that's what I used to do. I'd memorize a verse, and then I'd think on it as I was driving my tractor trailer from point A to point B. Now, I ran a route in the city, and so I wasn't a, a long-haul trucker. But you can memorize a verse. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. Develop an approach to get into the Word, keeping these five relations in mind that fit your present lifestyle. Because it isn't necessarily quantity, but quality that you're looking for. And when you're in a place in your life where you can intake more when you actually can hear and read and study, do it and be memorizing and meditating on the Word. And so that's the first mark or the third mark of a Christian. A Christian loves God's word with intention to obey it. And so my encouragement to you, brothers and sisters, is walk in the light. A love for God's word comes naturally to the Christian. Doesn't mean you understand it all immediately. Nobody ever understands it all, no matter how old they are. But a love for God's word comes naturally to the Christian. And as the Christian hears it and reads it and studies it and memorizes it and meditates on it, even in the smallest portion, it brings great, great, great benefit into their lives. Empowering them to walk in the light. So, the question I want to leave you is this. What does your relationship to God's word and to God's commands say to you? about your relationship to Christ? Can you test yourself by this mark? Because it either shows you're a Christian or it shows you're not. And again, remember, not quantity, quality. By God's grace, may we each respond to him. Join with me, let's pray. We just ask you, Father, now to take what's been spoken and seal it to our hearts. I pray especially for my brothers and sisters in you, Christ, that you would be using what was spoken today to build us up in our most holy faith, to help us intake your word according to whatever life situation we're in. And as we spend quality time whether that's memorizing a single line or reading a chapter, that you would increase our faith, grow us in our love for you, and equip us to serve you better. Now, Father, if there are those here today who, as they look at this third mark of the Christian, say to themselves, I don't have a love for your word, I pray that you would help them be honest about that and then help them seek. Talk to somebody. Seek you in prayer. 
so that they might fully become yours. Falling in love with your word and then reading it and feeding on it for the benefit of their soul. Dismiss us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So you're dismissed.